Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Bulls Gold on the Barroom Network. I am Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Ed Bershew Jr. Hey, Ed, how's it going this morning? Hey, it's going well. A little bit of an early start, but all things are good. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today with the Luke Longley documentary. The Bulls schedule just came out, and I'm sure we'll get into some more off-season stuff. But yeah, how's everything going with you? Yeah, going well, I think. Uh with the Bulls stuff, it's not a lot of new things. Obviously, the schedule dropping is a little bit new. Um, disappointing that we don't get the at-home TNT Bulls back. Uh, and we do get one TNT game, but it's, it's not it's at it's not at home. I see a lot of people mentioning uh, that the TNT Bulls are back. They're not back. It's not at home. That the at home is where the Bulls are defeated on TNT. Undefeated. They're all like on like mm-hmm. a insane like 36 game win streak or something like that but yeah we'll, we'll get into all of that i'm sure yeah absolutely uh but yeah you know one thing i wanted to we had to discuss is like the luke longley dog i thought that was like really good and how how it was created um i love the interviews loved mj's interviews uh you know and I thought we would bring in a really good guest to talk about that. And we'll also get his thoughts on the Bulls offseason as well. But joining us again from, uh, he has his own Substack, the second arrangement, uh, huge Bulls fan, uh, Kelly Dwyer. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I get to talk about Luke Longley. <laughs> yeah. In a parking lot. Right across the street from an airport, I just found out there are little <laughs> tiny airplanes with propellers taken on over the top of us. So, uh, yeah, let's look it up. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so you know, watching watching the Luke Longley uh, documentary and when that the Last Dance came out, there was a lot of people that had issues with it. Obviously, all the Jordan fans loved it. I loved it. I know. I, I understand why a lot of the players or some of the players I should say might've had, you know, a, a criticism over it, like Horace Grant. Um, I know Scotty reportedly didn't like a lot of it, which I kind of understand because it kind of makes Scotty look pretty bad at times during that whole part. I thought like when they didn't talk a lot about Tony Kukos, that was disappointing because like Tony was such an important part of that second repeat especially in that game seven, third quarter, like you don't win that game without him. But like Luke Longley, I think has a bit of a gripe too. Yeah. He wasn't like a star or like a six man type of player, but he was, he was important in his own way for that team. Uh, What were your thoughts? Uh, Obviously about the last dance a little bit, but when, when you're watching that and you saw certain players like Luke Longley that were left out, 
uh, of that of that documentary for The Last Dance. I mean, The Last Dance was the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it was also done terribly <laughs> and it was done. It was, you know, so great. And the Jordan breakthroughs and all the, you know, it turned into, it's a Jordan documentary. We were promised a documentary on the 97, 98 bowls. And it turned out to be like, Oh, Jordan got cut from his team. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I didn't, I was just so caught up in the, in all the, you know, production elements that upset me. And like, you know, they, they talk about a game in Indianapolis, but show a clip from, or, you know, they talk about Orlando, but show a clip from Indianapolis or something like that. And all the Jordan nonsense, I, I didn't even notice it. So this Luke documentary was, was a, was a good remedy for that. So can you, can you speak a little bit on just from what you saw in the documentary what are your thoughts on just Jordan and Longley's relationship overall? Like, how did you view it? Well, Jordan came back in March of 95 and the playoffs started a month later. And if you watch those games, it's just Jordan scores, Jordan scores. Everyone watches him. Jordan passes to Longley. Longley drops the ball. It was, <laughs> it was an inauspicious meeting between the two of them. Uh, Luke was bad. Luke was bad in that playoffs. He was coming off the bench behind Will Perdue. Uh, Jackson, for some reason, after starting Luke the whole uh, regular season, decided to start Will Perdue in the playoffs. And Luke never got his wits about him. And, uh, you know, so that's a bad start. But, you know, after a while, I'm, 1996, they had to play Alonzo Mourning in the first round, Patrick Ewing in the second round, Shaquille O'Neal in the third round. And, you know, at times in, in the finals, Luke had to square up on, on Sean, Bra excuse me, Sean Kemp on the baseline. So soon as that hit, I think their, their relationship was pretty secure. There was the odd dropped pass and the stuff about the, you know, scoring 14 points in the first quarter and then disappearing for the rest of the game in a game against Detroit with no center or Phoenix with no center, whoever it was. Uh, you know, that stuff was all true, but I think after 96, those guys were, 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 were thick. I, 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 you know, it's <laughs> the guy got in front of all of Georgetown and didn't embarrass himself against Shaq. And, uh, that's not even getting into the offensive part of things. He at times was the, Oh shoot, what do we do? Dump it into Luke, run the triangle. Hmm. He was, he was, he was perfect. So I wasn't. I was like maybe what four or five when the Bulls traded for Luke Longley, and they actually traded uh, our guy Stacy King uh, as a part of that deal. So uh, that happened February twenty third, uh, nineteen ninety four. So, do you think at the time because you just mentioned that Longley's value really came from the fact that he was able to defend the post in an era where centers were so dominant like everyone wanted to have a, a dominant center who you could throw the ball down to and score so you needed someone who was tall strong you know have some girth that can defend that position and that's where Longley came in so when they made that deal in 94 did you think that that was kind of a precursor to Longley's potential value or like I guess what was the thought process behind that deal do you think yeah I mean I wasn't paying the most attention but you know <laughs> The first time you hear the guy's name, oh, there's a seven foot two guy from Australia and his name is Luke Longley. And you're thinking like, oh, we're just all in this big weird book that someone is writing with these beautiful names that are perfectly <laughs> made for these players. But I hadn't seen a single 
Minnesota Timberwolves game. I didn't know the the New Mexico Lobos, but I knew he was seven two, and that the Bulls were into year six or maybe seven of the Will Purdue regime, and that uh, you know Cartwright was on his last knees. And uh, yeah, anytime you trade up power forward to center, especially back then. I mean, back then you could throw the ball to anyone in the post, and they became a threat because you had the zones weren't allowed. So you had to stay on your man. And if you did double team the post, Oh my God, as soon as, you know, all of a sudden it was five on four and there was an open player somewhere. So it was such an advantage to have a seven foot two guy that you could, that didn't have to stop the game every time down court because he was following someone while trying to play defense. At least he could put in the effort. And there weren't a lot of those above average guys. It was all usually like Patrick Ewing or a six foot 11 guy that there was a power forward that was just masquerading. So to just have average at a position was, was, was beautiful. And it was, yeah, that was the thought process. It was like, Oh, he's going to go to Chicago. Phil Jackson was a big man. They got Cartwright hanging around. They'll teach him how to, you know, not be a Minnesota Timberwolves. And the, the best case scenario happened, uh, you know, which is 11 points per game. But so what? Yeah, I think he, he, he provided exactly what the team needed. Like you, you said, he was that big body they could put up against some of these guys they would see in the playoffs, like uh, he, uh, Ewing, uh, Shaq. He, he would... He would he would put his body up against them, and he would he would do hold his own. Obviously, not you're not going to stop those guys, but he he did enough where he was a disturbance. And like as offensively, he was very unique in that regards too. He like obviously you you mentioned him getting the ball in the post at times and making that little baby hook, hook shot that he would go to. Or he was a solid jump shooter, too, for a big – he would step out to about 15, 18 feet uh, and, you know, off the baseline, hit solid uh, solid baseline jumpers. Also a good pass. I remember the one one pass in the documentary they revisited was the one where uh, when Jordan dumps on Matumbo uh, and then wags his finger at him. Uh, that was That was Longley giving him the ball um, off the baseline cut, just, you know, backdoor passing it to him. Uh, that was a, that was like a great play, you know, and obviously we all talk about the dunk, but if you're, if you're probably more of a basketball nerd back then, you're looking at that pass. Oh my God, that's a solid pass. That's a really good pass to Jordan. Yeah. I was just happy that Jordan dunked because they did that pass all the time. And, like, listen, I take the 96 Bulls against anyone. This is the 97 team when that Matumbo dunk happened. I take the 97 Bulls against anyone. But they weren't like the most athletic team. They weren't, you know, they didn't have a, a they didn't have a banger anywhere that could just throw down. They had Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Greatest 15 in the dunk contest. But that was, you know, eight, nine years before that. It was, you know, Scotty Pippen with back problems and Tony Kukoc throwing himself into traffic backwards and trying to avoid. There wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of that. So Luke would throw that pass all the time and it would end up with like, Pippen would get on the baseline and he get doubled. And then the two passes later, Steve Kerr would get a wide open 18 footer or something like that. So to see it flush on Matumbo in the deciding game in a series back home, and I think it was Rodman's birthday. So Rodman threw him, got himself thrown out of that game early. So he'd go hit up the, the, the <laughs> rush street. Uh, it was, it was, it was beautiful. And that, that little 15 footer, like the bulls had so many zeros offensively. Something Robin was, 
a, a brilliant, smart, whatever you want to call him, offensive player. Hit a jump shot, Dennis. Ah, uh, no. You know, Ron Harper, amazing, smart, cerebral, love him, my favorite player ever, but hit a jump shot, Ron. Ah, no. Even Pippen was, you know, it was rough from like 15 feet. It could have been an air ball. It could have been a client. To have someone open it up that wasn't Jordan, because sometimes it was just Jordan and, and Longley is the only guys out there that actually put the elbow under the ball and make a jumper. So, yeah, he was he was a perfect sound in, in every regard. And ask her, they didn't really get into this, but their defense fell down. If there was any of the, the crazy stats we have these days back then, their defense died when he was gone. The step down to, to Kukoc at center or Wennington at center or small – versions with Rodman as great as Rodman was it was it was an entirely different team and you saw that you know that distinction between above average and average and that's that's what Luke was he was above average yay (laughs) and speaking of just being an entirely different team uh one of the stories Jordan talked about in the doc was when the Bulls played the Utah Jazz in 98 I think this was a regular season game right and uh, he says, like, in the first quarter, Longley has 12 points, four blocks, and four rebounds. And Jordan compliments him and says, that's how you effing play, man. You do that, we dominate. And they were up by 16 at the time. And at the end of the game, Luke still had 12 points, four rebounds, and four blocks. And they went from winning by 16 to losing by 15. And Jordan says that's the last time he's going to compliment him in the middle of the game. But it, it just kind of shows you, like, if Luke Longley ever gave you like decent offensive production or even just like solid offensive production, the Bulls were just an insanely tough team to beat because they did not, their, the game was not built on Longley having to put up double digits to win. Cause I think he only really averaged double digits uh, one time in his career. And I'm not, I can't remember if that was with the Bulls or not. That actually might've been his uh, first year in Phoenix. So <laughs> Yeah, it was it was that last year in '98 when they ha- when they were a terrible offensive team, and they badly needed someone to step up, and he did. He he stepped right up from eight points per game to eleven points yeah. per game, which was you know enough. It got them home court advantage. They needed every every uh, cent they could get that year. And it's gonna sound like I'm overly caffeinated and talking up Luke Longley, but again, back. And if you if someone cleared out post position and you got them the ball, they had at worst a, a little jump hook. They had at worst a little drop step and turn around something. They had they were right at the basket because you had to guard everyone one on one. So I promise, you know, sw- I swear to Bob Love, I was begging them to run the ball through Longley in that first period back then because again, you get a jump hook. It's he's going to make half of them and he's going to drop a few passes, but it's going to be something and you're not a great offensive team. And I, I ached for it. And he had a, you know, those last couple of years, he had sort of an Embiid thing going where he just, he halftime hit and he just got stiff and he could not play anymore. That Utah game, they were dunking all over Utah. They had Ron Harper out there. They're in the black uniforms of the pinstripes. And I think they were up maybe, I think it was 18. And uh, yeah, they, Utah just had enough and, and took it to them because, they, you know, they were old. They, they, they get stiff. Luke Curtis shoulder surfing in the second three-peat or second uh, in 97. So he had a big giant knot sticking out of his shoulder for the rest of his career. That ankle thing was you know, that was pretty well wrapped up by the time, by the end of that century, by the time 99 hit, it was, the ankle was, was no good. I talked to him when he was a Nick 
uh, when he came for a little cameo when the Knicks played the Bulls in 2001, 2000, 2001. And it was, it was hard to go watch the guy walk. It was, it was just, it was opposite to hear that he waited so long that I had to get ankle fusion surgery was uh, that's, that's, that blows my mind. Cause like Bill Walton got that surgery as soon as he retired, he's like, I'm not walking around in this pain. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that last year, 98, he was, he was the best offensive machine. He could, he could be, and honestly, Pippen wasn't there. Kukoc was limping. You were, you were hoping for anything. You were hoping for any new wrinkle. And, uh, you know, there was number 13. Yeah. I, you know, I found one thing I found interesting for the documentary, obviously you've got guys like Scotty, Phil and MJ participating in the documentary and especially MJ, because MJ never does interviews unless, unless he has full control over the interview he just he just won't do it. He doesn't like being in that spotlight anymore. He likes his privacy. So you know, I find it really interesting, and it kind of kind of credit to Longley. Well, a lot of credit to Longley as far as who he is. That they all of them would be like, yeah, let's fly out to Australia. And Jordan drops whatever he's doing. Phil drops whatever he's doing in Montana and his and his TP <laughs> and. uh and uh, Scotty, obviously, as well, like he talked about how close they were in the documentary uh, a few times there. So I found that very, uh, very interesting myself as far as the interview and the time they took out to do this for Luke. Yeah, it, you, you nailed it. And, uh, you know, they almost got Rodman, too, which, you know, in Dennis's world is, is pretty much like it. Rodman, <laughs> like he agreed to do it. And he's very shy and he flaked out uh, as, as shy people like us do, but like they almost got Dennis. Uh, yeah. He's uh, he is uh, he's beloved and he gave up his body for the bulls. And yeah, he got that big contract, but uh, never forget Jerry Krause and Clarence Gaines got a uh, sign and trade pick out of uh, Phoenix for it. Number 16 pick and uh, ended up with Ron Artest for uh for giving luke more money so it was just win 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 for the bulls and we didn't have to watch stacy king anymore which as someone who had to watch stacy king and he go on an entire uh west coast trip without a defensive rebound it was it was it was beautiful i don't remember stacy much back then i was uh i was younger i was at, i think i might have been like nine or so during that start of that second three-peat um and and the first one, I was vague memories of it. So it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's Stacy. Obviously, there's a lot of funny stories with MJ not being very happy with how Stacy was performing on the court. <laughs> so you know, we mentioned the last dance earlier, and I guess part of like I think you touched on it, but I really kind of wish that part of the last dance. And I'm sure they were restricted for time and this is obviously was still jordan's story but i really would have liked to see a little bit more just on how these teams were built obviously we got background on the scotty trades and um uh i think there was a little bit in there on ron harper we did get to see how tony kukoc got to the team but it, it just wasn't a whole lot on kind of the role players that you know like luke um I think there was a little on how they got Steve Kerr, but uh, yeah, I would have loved to see just more on the blueprint aspect of it in terms of creating the team. Cause that would have just added 
a little bit more context to everyone and showed the role that they expected them to really add, but we didn't really get that. Especially with the, the depth of these stories, uh, this is not, you know, not, we're not talking about Andrew Lang here. We're not hmm. talking about, I know Joe Klein was on the team, but we're not talking about Joe Klein. We're talking about a seven foot two guy from Australia. We're talking about six foot six <clears throat> next Michael Jordan, Ron Harper, that tore up his knee and then came to Chicago and was embarrassed and was on the bench and didn't even get in and was, you know, flogged in the press and, and everyone wanted and was no one was going to take him in the expansion draft and comes back as a starter, as a defensive stopper and, and, and drags that leg around for three, you know, Randy Brown, a Chicago native. Why didn't we hear anything about that? Like, cool. They got Kuko Chan and we got the Luke documentary, but all these stories, these are not normal role players. These are, it's like someone wrote all this <clears throat> seven foot two Australian. What's the big war that's going on in the, in the early nineties. Oh, let's bring a guy in from that war and have him play point forward way ahead of his time. Let's have a seven foot <laughs> Canadian who knows every move that Patrick Ewing has. Uh, you know, I'm glad we got the Scott Burrell documentation, but yeah, I would have liked a, a bit more on the fellas that were there for those three years. I've made my peace with it because we got all that Jordan stuff. Now, now we got all the Jordan stuff on camera and he's, he's aired all his grievances. And now we have the rest of our lifetime to talk to Steve Kerr, to talk to Randy Brown, to talk to Dickie Simpkins, to talk to Jason Caffey after he's done paying all his ex-wives off to talk to all these interesting people that have interesting stories behind them. Uh, you know, why hasn't anyone talked about Randy Brown, the only guy in Jerry Krause's history from Chicago that he made a point to, to acquire. So it's early, it's early. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, uh, the good folks down in Australia got ahead on this and, and, uh, put their own thing together. We didn't even get uh bison, uh, deli. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Crazy. His story Jeez. is crazy, especially with his mysterious death. It's people. Still- it was crazy before that happened. He, yeah. he, he sat out, he was a free agent and no, you know, this never happens. He was a free agent and no one signed him. So he's just like, the, it, it was either the minimum back then, or you had cap space. So he could play for 247,000 a year with some random team, or he could just not play basketball for years. So he went off and learned to play saxophone and hung out with Billy Corgan and did all this stuff and became friends with Dennis Rodman's agent and then got a gig on the champion that's a documentary before he disappears on a boat. Yeah. So, you know, someday, someday. Attention. Like we all are so enormous with that nineties team. Um, I mean, even if, even if you weren't that old enough to remember the, the team, um, like Edward said, he was like five when, when that second three feet started, I believe, hmm. but we're, we all get so enormous with it. We, we watch, rewatch the games, on DVD, we I have them all, like a lot of them, uh, from from the those playoff runs, just from finding them online and kind of downloading them. Uh, yeah, I had the I had the ninety. Oh man, I had the ninety. It was either the ninety six or ninety seven, but I had like the VHS. I can't remember if it was a Sports Illustrated or not, but I think it had like moments from the entire season, and then it led up to the finals run. So it was really cool, and I like both of you guys mentioned. I feel like the Bulls dynasty, it has so many, there are so many players on there that I feel like their background stories are interesting. And then just the players who like randomly appear like Bison Deli, like 
uh, the chief Robert Parrish, John Sally. Like it's just I forgot about that. Yeah, you're just like, wait, those guys were were there, and uh, oh god, who? Uh, Pete Myers. Uh, wasn't Gervin? Wasn't Gervin on the? Uh, not Gervin. Yeah, eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, it's just it's just it's loaded with some really interesting stories from that run and yeah i feel like you really could make a in a somewhat entertaining documentary about the others and how they you know supported the bulls like it's not all uh uh scott burrell and stuff like that you know so (laughs) (laughs) i'm over scott burrell gervin was great because they got him in jordan's second year when jordan was injured and they traded nobody for him. I think they traded Gene Banks for him. And uh, Gervin was part of the crew. He was on the other team, so obviously he wasn't freezing him out. But Jordan was part of the crew. Or excuse me, Gervin was part of the crew that was not happy with Jordan wearing his own sweats uh, during the All-Star Game warm-ups, during wearing the Air Jordan stuff during the uh, slam dunk contest, wearing the chains. Uh, just being the badass that Michael Jordan was, and George Gervin was not, ups- not happy with it. And uh, then they went out and traded for Gervin, but luckily, he and Jordan never had a cross pass. Jordan had the broken foot that year. Jordan comes back, and and uh, you know, coincidentally, George Gervin was not around on the playoff roster. But yeah, it's a, it's a loaded uh, franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes uh, literally. <laughs> yeah, you know, I find it interesting. Like I remember Jordan would get compared to George Gervin at times because of the whole being a leading scorer of the league and not being able to win a championship. Exactly. Uh, I, I don't know if that was a connection to because he played with MJ or it was just kind of one of those things that Gervin kind of, uh, George Gervin had kind of a reputation for and they just automatically put that on MJ. Yeah. I thought they would have talk, talked about that a little bit when they started going back into when Jordan first got drafted and they were talking about like where they were saying what it was like the cocaine circus or whatever with the early bulls i thought they might mention gervin like oh because he was a really notable name on the the team when jordan really first started but yeah i I get it though they're pressed for time and i'm sure everyone doesn't care about the minute details of how the bulls you know wanted randy brown and whatnot but it would be a a really interesting kind of like follow-up and in a weird like sick way too I think you could make a decent like 30 for 30 on the year after the dynasty ended just that season, the 99, uh, the 98, 99 season would be kind of oh, ESPN <laughs> put a Krauss documentary together in like right after that season, because everyone was just so f- starved for, uh, for tangential MJ content. Yeah. yeah. There, there's every, every single year is, is, is absolutely uh, uh, rife with that stuff. And, you know, they, they passed on Mike Finley because he was from Chicago in the draft in the same summer that they traded for Randy Brown from Chicago. The only guy or signed Randy Brown from Chicago, the only Chicago guy they've ever signed. And now he and he's still with the Bulls. There should be 30s on all these fellas. <laughs> I think I remember a story uh, that Jordan played Finley in college. Like he went to like because uh, Finley went to UNC, right? Am I, you, uh, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. It was yeah, he's from Provisor. Oh, and sorry, he played God. Jordan in a, uh, you know, he won like a punt pass and kick competition or something. He was like first team all whatever. So he got to meet Jordan and play one-on-one. Yeah, and with Jordan, him. I guess, beats him, but then tells him like, I'll see you in the league. And I guess Jordan really liked him. I think, that, didn't Jordan want Cross to draft him? Oh, uh, well, Jordan had just come back, but uh, he, I'm sure. 
I'm absolutely sure it was, it was a, they were so in desperate need for a power forward, but you're not going to find the guy that's going to, uh, you know, guard Charles Oakley, number 22 in the drafts. And they, they took Kathy. I mean, a lot of teams passed on Mike Finley that year, but uh, you know, six foot five guy that can shoot, play defense and jump out of the building playing in a big 10 conference. It was uh crosses a lot to answer for there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. But, you know, I guess we could we could talk about those 90s Bulls forever. But, Kelly, I do want to get your thoughts on our current Bulls. Uh, we have Arturis Kernashevis and Mark Eversley, who have done a lot of interesting moves. They've, they've really shook up this roster as far as what they took over with, with under uh, what Garn Pax had built. And when you look at it now, it's pretty much like there's maybe one or two players left, maybe like two players left from the Kraus uh, Garpax era. And it's a completely different team. I think it's a pretty exciting team. What are your thoughts as far as what AK and Eversy have done since they've taken over uh, to today? Well, I have no choice but to love it because like, you know, we don't, it's not like the roster is going to look a whole heck of a lot of uh, different, we, you know, we don't have any picks, so we better dig it. And, uh, you know, if he's shooting for Jokic, if he's shooting for whatever's going to pop up a couple summers from now, cool. We're, we're, we're the Miami heat. We're, we're a team that goes out and gets DeMar DeRozan. We're a team that goes out and trades a, a draft pick eight years from now and says, well, we're just not going to be in the lottery that year. And, and, uh, you know, I love that way of thinking. I, I love not putting it all on a rookie every year to change our world and, uh, and going out and, and finding players that can obviously play. Are they going to fit? We have no idea, but it's better than going, ooh, and that 16th pick they got this year, he's a multi-positional player, and we don't know if he can play any position, but, you know, instead of doing all that and, and, and obsessing over our 7th and, and 14th pick, and these guys from Michigan State and Duke that that Pax and Foreman used to get, we can we can think about veterans and, and players we already know and situations we can anticipate. And you know, better yet, for all the professionals on this team and on the coaching staff, uh, they can anticipate. They have San Antonio tape to work with. They have Orlando tape to work with. They have other co- good coaches in Orlando and and. San Antonio that they can pick up on from instead of having to figure out where an 18 year old fits into the rotation. So, uh, yay, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. It may fall flat on its face, but it, you know, at least it's going to try to run. Yeah. I, we've both been in, in wide support of it. And I think the, to me, the playoffs this past year really showed the difference in terms of, I guess how much role means and expectation means the bulls have acquired guys like, or drafted guys like Bobby Portis and Tony Snell and, uh, you know, a bunch of like late round guys or maybe like late lottery guys, Enzo Valentine, they traded for campaign and there was a lot of expectation put on these guys to become starters. Or even if you go to like a case of Lowry Markin and or Chris Dunn by proxy of the Jimmy Butler deal, it was, Hopefully these guys become core players, yeah. guys that we can really build a winning team around. But Lowry Markkinen is still a free agent. Chris Dunn is probably looking like a journeyman defensive guard for the most part. So it, it just kind of shows a difference. And then you look at what Bobby Portis did for Milwaukee. Not a starter. 
didn't play in some games, but he came off the bench. He performed a role. He was a a hero in his own role, and he added value that way. Same thing for campaign. So it just shows that these guys in the right culture, they can still be solid players. But when you expect them to be something that maybe they're not, you're kind of burying your franchise and you're also not getting the most out of your picks. So I've been a fan of what they're doing because they're relying on veterans. So on that note, what do you think of what do you think is going to be the mix of this team? Like, what do you think of it? Like the Rosen, Levine, Lonzo, Vucevic, a lot of talent there. How do you think it's going to mix? And do you expect a lot of early season struggles and then eventually it comes together? Like, what do you, how do you see it going? No idea. I, absolutely no. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, the minutes that they put together last year, I can't even, I, I'm not even going to give that credibility, the good ones and the bad minutes, because it's, you know, the Zach playing on a bum ankle and Nicola not trying to step on anyone's toes and, and Donovan making the playbook as, as you know, in school as it can be. And, and, you know, just to make sure no one, <laughs> you know, runs into each other. And it's, it's, it, we have no way of knowing, but we do have the paper and the paper says Vucevic can do this and DeRozan can do that. Levine did this on pull up threes last year and blah, 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 blah. So we're going to have to put paper together. I'm just happy we can do it because I mean, you nailed it on Portis. Like what he did with Milwaukee was exactly what all of us were jumping up and down on draft night going, Oh, this guy can be like that. Mm-hmm. He can be, you know, you're not going to remember Harvey Grant, but I remember Harvey Grant. Harvey Grant was was Horace's brother, and he was just he was not the greatest defender, but he could get buckets and he could get rebounds and he could make noise and and make it all about himself. And it, and he was perfect. And that's what you know the Bulls just ruined all these players. Every single one of these players, they just just you know, like Denzel Valentine on a good franchise was probably a good player. Chandler Hutchinson on a good franchise was probably a good player. God knows how, what Lori Markkinen could have been if he hadn't have been jerked around by <laughs> boiling and all that nonsense. So, so I'm as frustrated watching Chris Dunn play basketball as you guys are. And Lori is watching him last year was an embarrassment, but I also have to be mindful of how weird these bulls were. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what Billy Donovan can get these uh, guys to play together. Um, I, I think like the the fit is there on paper, like you mentioned. We we know what these guys can do, and then the skill set does fit together. It's, I don't think this is a a roster where you're just getting a bunch of guys that do a lot of the same things. Um, skill wise, I think they can. Uh, kind of mesh and figure out how to play. And I guess it comes down to is uh, I think last season there was some criticism I had of Billy Donovan, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, this roster is that good overall. So maybe he's just trying to figure things out to see what we have on the roster, what we can possibly keep and not keep. So maybe that's why a lot of rotations were kind of, all over the place um, or interesting in a sense where you wondered why he went with all these guys, as opposed to uh, doing something a little different that could have probably resulted in better, uh, better cohesiveness, but going into this season, obviously he's going to have to, from day one, have a good game plan set out. Uh, do, you, do you think that Billy is the guy that can probably get that done as far as 
with all these different new pieces and and toys, if you will, come in and and have have them prepared and to buy in to play as a group and be cohesive right away. I, I have no idea. I have no clue. I it's it, and he has to be the difference. It's rubber meets the road time, and uh, you know we were I guess right to give him patience last year for all the reasons you mentioned. But it's he has to be. They have to be better than the sum of their parts, and the, the way to do that is good coaching. You're going to have to get a Nick Nurse situation. You're going to have to get a Dwayne Casey situation where it's like, how, how is this team even in this game? And but the Bulls don't have those sorts of players they have good to great players so it, it, it's going to have to be him um because the the the, the bottom it's there i mean the, this team has defensive holes and jump shots can go in and out they have not figured out the free throw situation so life there even with the rosen is not going to get any easier um so it's <laughs> i it's it's they're going to be quirks and he's had a long time to figure this out that the idea that they gave him Vucevic before the trade deadline and he's going to have all summer to think about what's up is huge and the idea that you know like with Miami with Lowry that the Bulls have been talked about with Ball for the longest time so both sides have had a chance to visualize how they're going to work and Ball has known that Nikola Vucevic is a center for the Chicago Bulls since last February and he's aware of that even if he's suiting up for New Orleans he knows what's up so I like that. Uh, they're going to need a leader, and that's why I'm hoping Ball brings that spark. I don't care how old he is. I don't think it's going to be Vucevic. I, it's, it's not going to – you know, Levine has, has got plenty on his plate. As They're going to ask asking him to be a two-way player for once, and uh, it's going to have to be Ball. I, and he's going to have to uh, – <laughs> he's going to have to bring that spark that, that, you know, left us so smitten in those, in those pre-LeBron years where it's just like, oh, this guy – there's something here. There's something here. And that's not the way his wrist should go on that jump shot, but there's, there's something here. But uh, it, with, with Donovan, I have no way of knowing. I have to wait till the X's and O's guys online tell me, tell me what's up. And Steven, Steven Noah and, and Nikaeus and all those guys, Zach Lowe, tell me what's up with, with, he's got to be the difference though. He, he cannot be even Steven. He cannot be Vinny Del Negro 41 and 41. There has to be something there that makes the obvious disappear and, and when start piling up because all these players have been on teams that can win a bunch of games without even thinking and also lose a bunch of games without even thinking about it while giving their best efforts. So it could, it could swing both ways and, and uh, yeah, Donovan's gotta be it. Part of me thinks that he can be the right guy for his job. I think Billy, like to me, I don't necessarily think you need an amazing coach to make things work or even win a championship, right? I think you can win a championship with a competent head coach. So even if you're just a top 15 coach or a top 18, 19 coach, like I think that's fine. I feel like you're only really in a bad position if you've gone through what the Bulls have the last three or four years where just general incompetence. But Billy Donovan, to me, I think he's solidly average maybe at worst and at best I think he's kind of a little above average I think what makes me say that is when you look at what he did in Oklahoma City he had a different dynamic every year he had the, he had the last year with uh, Durant and Russ and Abaka, right then he had the Russ MVP year then he Crazy had year. the uh 
the mellow the mellow team with Russ, I think, and then he had the Paul George team, and then he had the team that was in rebuild with Chris Paul and Schroeder. So he just had a different vibe every year, and they still won games. Now, obviously, there was talent there, but they won games. And even that last year in OKC, people looked at that team in before the season started, and they were saying the Thunder were going to be trash, and that team was pretty solid. So it's going to be interesting to see how he balances all of these new parts. Like Celine mentioned, the only player that was that's here is uh, from the the team that Karnishevis and Eversley took over is Zach now, I believe, right? And I think Col- Kobe is there. And Kobe. And then, okay. Um, I mean, we'll see if Larry is there. Yeah. So Zach and Kobe. So yeah, completely different dynamic. But I like his chances though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just big on the idea of people growing. I mean, he's not an old man, Donovan. Mm. And uh, yeah, for him to have a year and a half, even though there's all, all these new names, a year and a half of stability, like you mentioned, is 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 got to be paramount. I just, you know, Kobe's Kobe's rough because I just don't think he's going to be right till till next season. I think he's going to. I hope he they find room in the rotation for him that doesn't make him feel like every time he comes off the bench, all eyes. Uh, are on him uh, because that is a there's still Lou Williams Jamal Crawford big time potential there and, and uh, you know a, a point guard a teenage point guard that rebounds that much you got to hang you got to have high hopes for that guy and I, I I still retain him it's such a bummer what happened to him mm-hmm. yeah his, his injury is unfortunate I, I feel like that's a lot of time where he could work on his game in the offseason uh, develop certain aspects of his game so that's definitely frustrating he's supposed to reevaluate it in october um and then he might he's i think so he's supposed to miss training camp uh as far as being act, how much activity he'll do he'll probably be with the team but he's not obviously he'll be with the team but he's not going to be able to play much um and then like i said reevaluating in october and then he might miss a couple of the uh first games maybe first couple of weeks if of the season um, and maybe be back by November. So we'll see. I think one thing I'll say, like, luckily it's not a lower body injury. So, I mean, I feel like he should still be able to be, you know, cardio wise, be able to uh, say semi uh, basketball shape. And then once you get going, you know, maybe it won't be as long of a comeback for him. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I miss him already. You know, it, yeah, like you said, it's the, that's the only silver lining. But it's just that, you know, the timing, as you started with, just that summer lost where, you know, it's it probably still hurts for that guy to cough right now with those injuries. And, uh, yeah, it's a drag. But, you know, just a dynamic person that can, especially if he can sit and watch on the bench and see how players get free throws and see what they do and watch DeRozan and watch Levine and and see those two different generations and how they work at their stuff. They're both coming from the Kobe influence. They're both the Kobe Bryant influence. They're both twirling and doing the mid-range stuff. And if White can just watch that and see what's up and then just come in with no pressure and just score instead of having to walk the ball up and bring the ball up, that's not his game. That's not his game. And I felt bad for him this last year, but he tried his butt off and he didn't complain. Uh, so, yeah, hurry back soon. Let me ask you this. Do you think Lowry Markin is still free agent, as I mentioned? And obviously the market isn't there because 
teams feel like the Bulls don't really have, well, he doesn't really have any leverage. And obviously teams aren't going to pay him 15 million, 60 million, whatever he's trying to get. So if the Bulls, well, if Lowry Markkinen signs the qualifying offer and says, okay, I'll go back to Chicago. I'll, I think his qualifying offer is what, is it 9 million this year? 11? I yeah, can't remember. Like eight, eight or nine. Eight or nine million. In that range. And the Bulls don't really have a backup four right now uh Samanovich probably not going to play much early and I mean it would be great to get someone who is more versatile than Lowry in a sign and trade but again I feel like there's not much leverage there but what how much do you think do you think Lowry could be effective in that role if he truly embraced that role coming off the bench sort of like in a Bobby Portis way where he's just like okay let me just do what I can do best and just maximize that and just try to just try to stay like interested that way. Because I feel like last season when he went to the bench, it was just kind of like, woe is me. But if he actually embraced that this season, is he a valuable piece or is it just a waste of time for the Bulls? It's up to Laurie. I mean, it's it's it's. It's in, if he's going to be in, he could have been that guy last year. He could have been that guy the year before. He, I know he's been injured, but he could have been that guy a million different times. He could have been, you know, eyes on the contract and eyes on the numbers and all that. And Bulls fans would have been like, yeah, yeah, get numbers, get, yeah, defensive rebounds, three pointers. Yes, please. So if he goes, if he acts like that this year, yes, please. It's just, you know, is, is he going to be in his head? Is he going to feel like everyone's watching him every time he gets the ball and he goes into that triple threat? He's got a million different decisions to make and he makes the weakest one. Is it, is it just going to be that again? Yeah. He's, he's 20 something years old and he's a seven footer with skills. There has to be a silver lining there somewhere. And I'd, for once I'd like that, that to happen on the bulls. I wasn't dying for them to bring him back. And, you know, Cordis didn't really, change this being in a bar in Wisconsin this summer, watching a bar full of people chant Bobby Portis's name at a television. I didn't <laughs> think I'd see that coming, but that's his potential. And it's, it'd be nice for one of these bulls to reach their potential for once. And if it's Lori, you know, maybe not my top pick, but sure. Let's, yeah. let's keep the guy. He's seven feet tall. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like we saw in the NBA finals, we saw Bobby Duvis on some bad Bulls teams, like that game yeah. against the Knicks where he just went crazy with a, a bunch of three. It was either the Knicks or the Sixers, but he just went nuts. And he was carrying a really bad Bulls team. Even when Nico came back, it was Nico and Bobby. So, like, it it was him showing what he can do, and now he did it on a bigger stage. So, it's just like with Lowry, if he just – it just like looks – it just says, okay, let me take a step back, embrace this role – I can play harder than I've shown because we've seen Lowry play harder, much harder than he did last season. We've seen him rebound the ball better. We've seen him be more interested in the offense. So if he just says, OK, look, I'm not going to score 20 points a game. I might not even I'm not even going to score 15. But if I come in here and I score eight or nine and I'm interested and I play with some level of energy. That can bump my stock up, especially if the Bulls make the playoffs and. Like that's best case scenario. I, I don't know, because I, I just don't see him going anywhere and just being featured. But mm. 
but everyone wants a seven footer and there's a chance. I don't know. It's, it's, it, he, he knows all these players these days know that, that it doesn't have to be box score stats, that they're going to get their money by people looking at per minute and efficiency stuff. And that X amount of points per game is not going to be the, the be all end of all, but something has to get through to this guy. He's got to have some form of inspiration somewhere because like you said, that's, that we've seen stretches of it. And the thing with Portis is with some of these guys, you just got to wait. So they get to be 26 years old or 25 or 27 or whatever it is. You just get, you just got to develop them. <laughs> the yeah. bulls haven't done that. So uh, it's, you know, I think they're, they're, they are running something on two different fronts because we're, you know, we're got the, the rookie coming over this year. They got Kobe still on the roster you know, uh, Levine is not an old man. He's got several years left till his prime and he's got a contract coming up and there's things to learn and things to do and things to work on. So, uh, yeah, big, big, uh, big uh, Sunday dinner to cook up for the, for the coaching staff this year. Mm-hmm. I think also with, with Larry guys like Larry and you look at Bobby Portis, it's, it's about role. I think like Larry still sees himself as a star mm-hmm. or like a future starter in this league and his role to me, probably best suited as a scoring big off the bench. And maybe it just comes out to coming with terms with who you are in this league. I, I kind of look at a guy like Doug McDermott right now. Um, he he obviously struggled here. He coming into this league um, out of Creighton where he was this big time scorer for them. I think like in college, he led like the, the college in scoring. I think one of the more, most score highest scores in the history of in college history or whatever comes into the NBA thinks he could probably still be that same guy took a little bit for him to figure it out like okay I can't be this guy anymore I need to be a specialist and be more with like a, a four spacer I need to up my three-point shooting obviously do all those little things that you know role guys do and I think he's found a niche in this league where that's what he can fit and contribute and I'm not saying that Laurie's just exactly like in that sense, but I think that's what when we were talking about guys like Bobby Porter, Doug McDermott, or past Bulls players that have gone on to do well, um, is this about expectations, in my opinion? And the expectation for Laurie Markinen is coming in was, hey, this guy's going to be our star. He's going to be one of those top 20, 15, or whatever guys, but that's just not who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that trade too. I mean, it was it was <laughs> you trade a MVP candidate away, yeah. And bring in uh, you know a seven foot guy with wide open potential, uh, but yeah, like you said, it's the, the the fewer seconds the ball is in Larry's hands, the better. But I still want him to shoot you know twenty times for thirty six minutes. He just can't be. He's he's not a guy that can twirl and take his time and move the offense and spot things out. He. He's got to be surprising people. Pass, shoot, move, do something, but don't hang on to it. Hmm. What do you think about uh, the tampering investigation that's going on with the Bulls right now? Do you buy the analogy that a lot of teams are, every team is going over the speed limit, but the Bulls are the one that are driving, the Bulls are one of the few teams that were driving recklessly with the uh, Alonzo Ball deal. So what do you make of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's the the analogy is it, it fails because like no one's been pulled over for driving recklessly in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Like it, it hasn't been a, a thing yet, unless I'm forgetting something that happened in the heat of the battle 
in 2019 or something, it would, you know, I, 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 I hate agreeing with JJ Reddick, but uh, yeah, I think uh, David Griffin didn't get Kyle Lowry and uh, decided that he was going to be a hall monitor and uh, raise his hand and tell the teacher that no one had, that she hadn't asked for the homework yet. And, and uh, we're all going to suffer for it. The bulls might lose some picks and the hammer is going to come at some points. I just don't know if the NBA has the credibility yet to make it happen this summer, even with how silly it is that all this stuff was, you know, that Woj had this at, at you know, 30 seconds past the deadline. Um, but, you know, I think the Bulls are just going to sneak out of this and, and be fine. But there's, there's probably going to be a penalty. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious, not anxious. I'm, I'm giddy to see how it's going to crack me up to see how the NBA tries to, to clamp down on this and, uh, you know, how these good journalists are, are going to get to frame this stuff because, you know, agents are going to leak stuff and, you know, journalists are going to want to be first. So uh, the NBA is going to be ham fisted and 10 years behind the time and try to crack down on this. And, and I'm just going to laugh and laugh and laugh <laughs> because uh, the bulls aren't going to be in the free agent game next summer. So it's going to be some other team. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I expect something to happen in the next couple of weeks. Supposedly Casey Johnson mentioned that that's the reason why, nothing's really happened with Larry is because they can't make, they can't make any moves right now because they don't know what the penalty will be. Because if they don't have like a certain pick or something like that, like second rounders or something, they may not be able to trade those with Larry to do something or something like that. Or did, did the league is just stopping them from making any further moves right now in general because of that? Because if you, if you look at the roster, they, they still need to fill out the depth depth as far as signing maybe a couple of vet minimum guys just to have on on the end of the bench because right now the the roster isn't technically complete oh yeah or cash cash too i mean it might just be uh michael going oh yeah we got to figure out if they're going to dock us six figures on this and yeah it's uh you know i don't care worth it i'm still glad they did it uh, yeah if you know these are the things that sorry for going back to the heat but this is what Pat Riley does. So he, you know, he signs Juwan Howard when when he's still got a, uh, you know, Tim Hardaway and Zoe on the books. It's it's uh, you, you push the league and and you figure out a way around it. And uh, you know, if if this is the reason there's going to be some holdup, then good. That means there's a there's a fuller, complete roster on the other end of it, and uh, they can find someone else to to fill in the Garrett Temple minutes. Although it was weird how he kept the ball so many games last season. We're yeah. worried about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that just showed you how little talent this team had that Garrett Temple was such, such an important factor. And I think, I think you've upgraded a lot of the overall talent, like a guy like Caruso is going to be, I think to me is an upgrade over Garrett Temple. I think as consistency as a, as a spot up shooter, but I think he's a, like Garrett Temple is a good defender, but Caruso is even that much better. Mm. I think he's probably one of the best on the point of attack defenders in this league. So yeah, it'll be interesting as far as how uh, the what the league does with the with this tampering nonsense, and hopefully they hopefully they come to a conclusion here soon so the Bulls can finish up uh, what they're trying to do, but. Kelly, thank you so much again for joining us. It's always a pleasure. I think it's been a little bit since we had you on last time, but could you let our listeners know um, where to follow you? I'm sure many of them already know, but also your uh, sub stack that you have that and anything else that you might be working on. 
Uh, yeah, just uh, just my Substack for now. Uh, uh, TSA.substack.com. There's a forty percent off coupon. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the uh, we're gonna beat the NBA to the punch on the top fifty and the top seventy five list coming up, and then we got season previews because the NBA only ooh that's a nice Impala only left us uh, two months <laughs> in between the off season and the start of the regular season. So uh, yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up and uh yeah it's 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 gonna be fun to talk about the bulls without having to make jokes all the time <laughs> yeah 100 100 uh edward how about yourself any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here oh uh, yeah thanks to uh kelly for uh dropping by again uh, really great talk on the longley documentary and just great hearing your thoughts on the bulls all season and yeah i think you're echoing a lot of what uh, everyone has been saying since we've uh, since these moves have happened that everyone is just excited that the team is actually tr- pursuing good talent and trying to be good and isn't just clutching their pearls and waiting for something to just magically appear. They're actually trying to go after it. So it's been really nice to see, and we're gonna get to see the Bulls on national TV much more. Uh, this upcoming season and the games will be really interesting early on. So yeah, I continue to be excited about this team and I guess we're waiting to see when the NBA is going to uh, give the tombstone pile driver to the bulls for tampering. So uh, we'll, we'll see when that happens, but uh, yeah, I, I'm still a fan because it kind of gives the bulls an edge. I said it last time, like, the bulls feel more edgy, feel more cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, they got caught yeah. tampering. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a great thing. I like it. Do more bad things. Yeah, but, <laughs> act like the big market that you are. Yes. Like, yeah, whatever, man. We'll give you a second round pick. We got our guy. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like if you're going to whiff on something, if you're going to screw up, at least get Tyrus Thomas. At least get something with some attitude and some dunks. At least yes. if we're going to screw up, do it on some tampering. Do yeah. it with, yeah, this is, no, you nailed it. You nailed it. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Well, yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can find the Bar Room Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again for Kelly Dwyer for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Shuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. <laughs>